You've eaten Gotham's wealth, its spirit, but your feast is nearly over. This is not my home. It's an operating table. And I'm the surgeon. Why aren't you laughing? From this moment on, none of you are safe. Welcome to the Batman Book Club, a podcast exploring the Dark Knight Library. I am your host, Ryan Lauer. The Batman Book Club is a proud member of the Batman Podcast Network, hosted by Batman on Film. Just go to batmanonfilm.com, click on podcasts, and you'll find the Batman Podcast Network. There's a whole list of other Bat-related shows that also like to dive into other nerdy subjects that we all, including Peter Bear, love to frolic about in our free time. Batman Book Club is also on Patreon if you want to help support the show. Uh, join some others. Keep those generators running in the Wayne Manor study. Just go to patreon.com slash thebatmanbc. Now, thank you for listening to episode 165, The Last Arkham. Joining me um, to go into the depths of the Arkham Asylum. Uh, he's no stranger around these here parts. It's one sir, director, Tim Rooney. Tim, thanks for coming back on The Batman Book Club. Well, first off, thank you for having me. Thank you for um, inv- like saying like having the open invitation, especially with the uh, yes. the stacked people that you have on the show on a regular basis. Um, eh. and another- Jay Oz is a hack. Oh no, no, no! <laughs> I, I didn't know that gentleman. He is, he is oh a man, nice okay. person. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. Well, uh, thank you again. Uh, I we were discussing this prior to recording, like uh, how many times have I been on? Like this is the fourth time I've been on. This fourth hat trick being three, not part of the five times club, but I think it is kind of fortuitous that I'm on for the fourth time because the story it revolves four issues. So I think that's kind of hey, hand there you go. Like that. Wow. Serendipity yes. meant to be. <laughs> I was going to say, and as we were listening to of like what the books that you've covered since you've been on here, it's like, oh, that's a, that's a good lineup of stories. But then also thinking about it, too. Um, I feel like the whole show, all episodes have been just a good rundown of stories because, you know, there's like 98 um, percent, maybe even higher than that. Now, I don't know of stories are all ones that I've liked. Uh, there is one Javi still holds is the most stressful episode on the <laughs> Batman book club with Batman RIP. And then there's another one of a story that I actually don't like. And that is the, uh, Oh my gosh. Is that last, last night last on earth. Night. Yeah. Night on earth. With uh, that Eric Carter, he knows, but that was a great conversation. Cause it was, it was good to talk to somebody who loves it and I don't love it. Um, and we had a good common ground. Um, we met out back afterward and beat the hell out of each other, but you know, but that's fine. Uh, I mean, now you carry Eric's head in a jar. <laughs> yeah, I do. You across the, I do. the plains of the apocalypse. And so uh, I think it all worked out in the end. I, I was going to put it behind me, but I mean, I put it put it away in storage and it just wasn't worth going out and digging through everything. So, um, yeah, there you go. So are you ready to enter Arkham Asylum, Tim? Yeah, I always am, and I'm always, uh, <laughs> always, <laughs> always am. But especially as I have a companion like yourself uh, to discuss. Oh, thank the, you. Uh, Arkham and its residents. Yeah, let's do that. Let's now let's dive into the last Arkham. Now, of course, 
This was the first arc in the Shadow of the Bat Lines, issues one through four, released in 1992, written by Alan Grant, with art by Norm Brayfogle. <laughs> More on that no- that noise in just a second. Um, it was released, like I said, four issues, 1992. There was collected in a Last Arkham Trade paperback there in the mid-90s, I believe. Uh, it's also been released in the Batman Shadow of the Bat trade paperback collection that came out a few years ago um it's available obviously the issues are available physically it's available digitally uh, it's available on dc universe infinite and of course this shadow of the bat volume is available on hoopla my favorite app of all time so tim for this episode which version did you read well i initially read this the very first time on dc universe infinite, infinite. as you as you said um but for the purposes of this one, I actually got these as single issues um, because there is a, I guess you can, I guess you can say like a flea market near me that has a bunch of booths of local businesses that sell, that sell like Chotskis and stuff like that. So you can buy like uh, old vinyl or a giant like uh, tin Coca-Cola logo. And yeah. A combo, and, yeah. And there's a comic shop that has a, a booth set up and it's next generation of comics and cars for anybody who's in the Long Island area. And what they do is if, if they have a storyline in single issues and it's a complete storyline, they'll bag and board them and put them as like in one container, but like, all right, this is this storyline bag and board. And so I got all four of these issues as floppies for 10 bucks. And I was nice. incredibly happy to break it out and read it for the purposes of this review. Very nice. Um, it's like physical issues, as if you can you couldn't rank any higher on Peter Vera's list. Um, that secures your position there. He has well, much respect for the physical issues. I, I mean, like, how, I, otherwise, I'd miss advertisements for Patriot Games. <laughs> yeah, <Lincoln's>, um, <laughs> Batman Returns on the back of it. Every, oh, almost every my issue goodness. That, you know, one, two, three. Oh, except the last last one has Star Trek Generation collectors cards. Oh. Which was at the height of like it was of Star Trek Next Generation at that point. Mm. Well, for me, I have the Shadow of the Bat Volume One collection. Um, I thought I was gonna have to settle on Hoopla. Now that has a that feels like it's a negative connotation. I would never do that to Hoopla, but right. I was able to actually um, grab this this sucker out of storage, and I'm glad because when I can get my hands on physical, I'd rather just read it physically. Uh, do you remember? So yeah, well, for anybody asking, I think, yeah, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) this trade, I believe, yeah, came out in 2016 and they did, I think it was four volumes total collecting all the shadow of the bat. And I think they're pretty affordable to find online. So if anybody wants to track down this trade, I didn't check and see, it's not too shabby. The trade that came out in the mid nineties, that was just the last Arkham either. I actually like that cover quite a bit. Um, so there's a little heads up note for anybody who still maybe want to want to track it down uh, physically. Do you remember when you first read this story? Uh, I think it was maybe like a year and a half ago or so. Like that's when, because I think, or maybe even a little bit longer because I think it's, um, because I think my, my interest and affection for Alan Grant and Norm Brayfogle as a partnership from, Yes, it went from <laughs> just being like, oh, this is alluring. Oh, no, we're in an affair now. Because like, that's yeah. how much, I, I mean, 
Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale will always be my team, my, my like my go-to team. When I think of Batman artists. Is, I, I think um, R.I.P. Tim Sale, um, and now sadly R.I.P. Both Alan Grant and Norm Brafo. When Alan Grant passed away last year, like that was amongst every other DC comic artist that we Ugh, lost. Like, gosh, it, it was like such a gut punch. And Alan Grant, as a writer specifically always fascinated me because like he started his career as a 2000 AD writer working on judge dread. And if you read like his early stuff, when he came over, like with the British of age, like so many other mm-hmm. people like, Hey, Alan Moore, this Alan Moore guy's working at, let's see who else we can get named Alan. And then, or, and uh, <laughs> let's and, bring in all the Allens. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like you had Alan Grant, you had Grant Moore. So. Enter Jurassic park three Raptor. <laughs> Alan. <laughs> <laughs> Oh God! Like if that was a great like case of like <laughs> no, they didn't get anybody out of Liverpool or not Liverpool Edinburgh uh, because of that. Um, oh man! But yeah, like Grant Morrison, uh, Neil Gaiman, Alan Grant, um, and Alan Grant's like early like stuff that he started with. He was co-writing Detective Comics with uh oh shoot, it was John. Um, they were a writing partnership, and I'm totally blanking on their name right now. And but like their voices specifically when they would write in Detective Comics, and like the overarching theme of when they're writing Batman and Detective Comics prior to Shadow of the Bad, like Batman does not like drugs, drug dealers, drug users, like drugs are bad. Like I, I guess you could argue drugs are bad. Okay, drugs, John drugs, Wagner. John Wagner. John Wagner. Thank Wagner. you there so you much. Yep. Uh, Thanks, Google. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sorry. Typing. All right, vamp. Yeah, that wasn't me. That wasn't me. Okay, I can't say. Yeah, I know everything. No, it was Google. Carry on. Uh, yeah, and so like I was like John Wagner and Alan Grant's writing in Detective Comics is fantastic. Anybody who has not done themselves the service of doing that, especially because of stuff like on DC Unit, DC Universe Infinite, Infinite, or on Hoopla, mm-hmm. uh, you owe it to yourself for that. And Alan Grant. Uh, partnered up with Norm Brayfogle, whose art is always incredibly striking and very expressive. <sighs> um, like panels within panels, like art within art, like, and especially if you ever read, it's what is it? I think you've been sharing images of like the birth of the demon, like the Rachel Ghoul oh my gosh. origin story, like that. It almost looks like it's like, it's almost like mm. it's all splash pages, like all watercolors. It looks amazing. So good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is interesting because I always thought that I had this arc physical issues but no i have the first issue only so i never read this story in completion until 2016 when i got this trade so it surprised me because when i got this trade and you know and it said the last arc i'm I'm like see i think i have these so but you know i don't have the the following issues i have like scattered issues of shadow of the bat and as i read it too i'm like oh man i don't remember any of this i don't know any of this and then i went back and finally looked at my long box i'm like nope I only had the first issue. Um, But yeah, so the first time that I read this in its completion was this trade paperback in 2016. Even though the first cover for that, or the cover of the first issue is very, very ingrained in my memory because I've had that issue forever. Uh, This is still, uh, yeah, this is still, it's not one that I've read like a ton since then. So it was kind of fun going back and reading it here too. Cause I'm like, I don't full out remember what happens and that's very exciting. And I know, and we'll get to it. This is uh Zaz's appearance, his debut uh, and stuff too. But I mean, outside of that, I mean, I knew that, Oh, Batman's locked up in Arkham Asylum. But, huh, details are sketchy outside of that. So that leads me into my last question for you. Uh, why did you choose this story? 
because I love when the quite like like in the Dark Knight. Uh, yeah, a, a movie that's brought up bust out all the hits on this show. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> with, with with good reason. Yeah, but like that the Joker says he's the unstoppable force and Batman's the immovable object. I love seeing stories of Batman being the unmovable object. Yeah. And testing him of his, whether not just his physical prowess, but his mental capacities to keep himself uh, as grounded as possible and keep himself solid, no matter the odds. And this almost seems like a, like a sequel to Graham Morrison's Arkham Asylum, a series, mm. a serious earth. Yeah. And it kind of also plays into one of my favorite episodes, the Batman, the animated series trial where Batman is put on trial by his rogues to see if he's belonged, like if he is responsible for their creation and does he belong within these walls? No. Yeah. Interesting. So anything you'd have said would have been acceptable. Um, I could have just been fine with you saying, cause Norm Brayfogle and Alan Grant, and I'm like, ah, perfect <laughs> reason. But no, your, your reasoning is very sound. Um, it bears a lot more maturity and thought behind it than my answers would have. Uh, oh, in in kicking off this the discussion on this story, I mean, there's so many different avenues. Uh, I think let's start first with like this being the kickoff of a new Batman title. So in that trade, from I think it when I looked up, it said it was collected in 1995 in a trade. Uh, Alan Grant wrote an intro. That intro is carried over into this trade. And basically, I mean, comic fans had heard that there were, you know, like annual retreats uh, for DC Comics. Maybe they're still in a variation of that. But especially like with Batman and talking about upcoming storylines and events and such. And uh, Grant here, he said that Danny O'Neill, the late great Danny O'Neill was, you know, the editor. And they'd said, okay, the Batman line is the main... Let's see. I don't want to misquote here. Uh, Batman Monthly ran the regular continuity stories. Detective Comics was more what Batman did on his nights off from the monthly. And Legends of the Dark Knight, which I continually say on this, is maybe one of the best, most consistent titles in the history of Batman comics. Uh, it focused on events in our hero's past. So as we all know, those were earlier time. So what would be different about Shadow? The title provided it. The shadow of the bat would fall on various heroes or villains, putting someone new under the spotlight in each story arc. And then kind of trying to debate who would be the first under this. And instantly people would go to Joker. But Joker was just heavily involved front and center in the Robin miniseries, and they didn't want to oversaturate him. So then they also didn't feel oh. like... Right? So... <laughs> Other members of Batman's rogues gallery, Penguin, Two-Face, Catwoman, Riddler, and so on, somehow didn't seem individually strong enough to carry off the first four-issue storyline in a new comic. We needed a, quote, new classic villain, not the easiest of characters to create when you're up against 55 years of continuity. And he said DC President Jeanette Kahn, she was in, usually sat in those meetings, and she said Arkham Asylum. That's an interesting tidbit there, because I bet that was one of those like once you say it you can't undo it mm -hmm. and how like i can only imagine like a room full of creatives as people are thinking literal physical people and somebody throws out the idea of arkham of like a sit back almost like a little antonio Banderas gif action Ooh, 
<laughs> yeah, I like that. And so I think that's like a fun little, you know, it's a fun note in the story of how this of this title coming to be. And then that's what led to this first story of the last Arkham. Because mm. Arkham Asylum is it's a serious house on serious earth. But <laughs> like when done correctly, like what a what an atmosphere, what like a, a like a dark cloud that can carry like hang over a story when it is like that's kind of a centerpiece and a focal point of a story in Batman lore is Arkham Asylum. Like I, I love that. And so this was just kind of like really fun to reread and uh what do, what do I want to say? Like think about the the origin story of this story is that. <laughs> right. And like I imagine like if you look back at the earlier times where like Rutland, Vermont was the place that a lot of the creators went to in the 70s. Yes, there you go. Yeah. I was thinking like I'm like, I know that was they even wrote themselves into a story like Jerry Conway and Denny O'Neill like are written into a crowd. Um it, the a, Night of the Reaper. That Neil yes, that Neil Adams uh, illustrated, and it's a Halloween one. They're in like a Halloween parade. Yes, yes, yes. Like I, I almost imagine it could have been something like that. I imagine if they do the retreats, uh, I imagine it's done through Zoom or Teams or something like that. Yeah, now put, it's like, like... I put like a, a, a forest <laughs> background and yeah. their background uh, to plan out their stories. But no, I mean, you think of Arkham. Arkham is a place of both. Batman's mistakes as well as his hope that things can get better mistakes in the fact that a lot of people that are inmates there um, who may or may not be there indirectly because of Batman or are continually there because of Batman the question that's brought up in that aforementioned episode of trial but also that whenever Batman brings somebody in even if it's the Joker Batman still has a hope that these people can get better yeah. If he doesn't, he'd be the Punisher and he'd be executing these criminals left, right, and center. Yeah. So it, it, it is a weird, twisted, like binary thing in, in Batman's life that, like, yeah, it is a terrible place. It's a serious house on serious earth. <laughs> yeah. But it's also a, a place where there's always a chance that somebody can get better if it's in the right hands. In the purposes of this story, it is not in the right hands. Mm-mm. No. And I think. So Arkham, I think, has to continually fail. Otherwise, we wouldn't get the stories that we get. And I know, I know that you, that like s- some writer would want to approach it of Arkham succeeds, but it's just like no. If we continually want our stories, Arkham has to fail in some regard. And so I, that's why I do love. And as you, I mean, you just pointed out, Batman has hope every time he puts a, a criminal back in Arkham. He has hope that this is going to be the time that they're going to heal. Uh, it just makes it, I don't know. There's just a lot there with Arkham of the hope being there, but then the methods, um, eh, questionable <laughs> methods best. are questionable at best. Um, the, like you even said, the Arkham Asylum Morrison story of the, the inmates take over the asylum. It's just so rich with, with depth, I think, of stories that you can do with Arkham, of literal, metaphorical, like all that kind of stuff, you can approach an Arkham story. So it doesn't go super. Grant Alan Grant doesn't go supernatural with Arkham here. He, like it's very literal and stuff, but I mean, it's still very effective. Of like, yeah, this is like the the root of the story. I mean, it's it hangs on every page of the walls of Arkham Asylum, and you really praised Alan Grant at the beginning and. 
Uh, I know there's a cool thing for the people to do online and stuff is to bring up somebody's name that nobody's saying is uh, underrated and say, it's a crime that this person's under underrated. It's like, well, nobody was really saying that. I do think I'm with you. Loeb and Sale are my creative team. Uh, I have all of their stories that they've produced. I love all of them. That's my go-to. Kind of an unsung pairing to me is Grant and Bray Fogle. <laughs> In which, like, because, I mean, Grant on his own, you were listing. I haven't read, surprise, I haven't read all the stuff he's ever written. There's a lot of prolific. Don't feel too bad. (laughs) There's a lot of stuff outside of Batman that I have not read just because I, I read his Batman stuff and then I reread his Batman stuff. And it's like at a young age, you know, pictures were great. Words were, but that, that name, Alan Grant, in which when I was young, I thought that uh, Dr. Alan Grant from Jurassic Park was writing comic books. True story. <laughs> it took me a little while. In that cave, obviously. Yeah. So that was true. Um, but that name's that was one of the first like writers' names that ever stuck out to me because those that stack of comic books that I have, that same name, it is on every is in every single one. So he stuck out with me. And then as I got older and followed more work and read them, and especially the Legends of the Dark Knight Norm Brave Vogel collections, you know, has so much alan grant working it too that it's just like man this guy is so so damn good in all of his stories and so it would make total sense hey we're starting a new title batman alan grant you're writing it but yeah <laughs> i mean denny o'neill is a smart man he knew he knew what he had at the time and uh, i think this like i was kind of like backtrack a little bit here if because every six to eight months the tweet is is resurrected of like which had more Batmania eighty nine or two thousand eight. Yeah, if you want to put in perspective, Batman eighty nine spawned four like it spawned three new, uh, Batman series and Legends of the Dark Knight, Shadow of the Bats, and no, or maybe it's just two. No, because because it was Batman. You know, it spawned two new Batman series and a Batman cartoon series. Mm-hmm. Dark Knight, as great as it was, did not do that. And Dark Knight didn't have any video game tie-ins. It did not. So if you want to put that to bed everything like that. Um yeah, and I feel like Alan Grant and Norm Brayfogle as a team, um, I, I mean, amongst the fans, like you and I included, we hold them up in high regard, but I feel like they should be up there in, in whether it be uh Frank Miller and David Masticelli or Doug Mensch and Kelly Jones. Mm-hmm. And I even know, like, I'm not the biggest fan of Kelly Jones. There was parts of some of the art in this story specifically that Brave Girl is getting very close of how expressive and dynamic yeah. Jones can be with, like, the scowling of Batman or just, like, how his cape looks sometimes. I mean, like, I've looked at the Nor- Brave Girl Batman black and white statue mm-hmm. uh, on more than one occasion, but I'm like, where the hell am I going to put that? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's tough. It's like Todd McFarlane, like, draw like the, the cape. Like, where am I going to put this? There's no room for it. Yeah. Uh, oh, man. I mean, should we? Like I, I said, so many places to go. <laughs> Brave Fogle. I make a noise every time because if you've listened to this show, you know that he and Lee Bermeo are my favorite Batman artists of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's hard if I have to pick one. Like, I kind of can't. And then it was like, 
I had no idea when Bermeo was on episode 100 and he even said like, cause it's all connected and it came full circle and how he said, Oh yeah. Uh, Bray Fogel was the very first uh, artist that I ever met in person. And I was like, get the hell out of here. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Couldn't have planned this anymore. And then it's like, but you look at the two's art and there's nothing similar about the two either. So it like no. blows my mind when something like that happens, just like Bermeo said that he's such a massive fan of Dick Sprang. And I'm like, Dick Sprang is like complete 180 from Lieber Mayo work. You know, like, <laughs> like him saying, oh, I'm a huge fan of Bernie Wrightson. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> so it, you know, blows my mind with that. But Brave Vogel, much like the Alan Grant stuff of comics, is that was a lot. I knew that name and that style, that Batman, that Batmobile so much as a kid when I started getting into comics, all Brave Vogel designs. So that was like such made such an impression on me at that age. And so then I get all giddy. When someone comes on this show and chooses a story where Norm Brayfogel is the artist, like that makes me very happy. And I was like, oh, damn, God, thank God. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes. Unfortunately, some people are probably like, God, Ryan, we get it. You like Norm Brayfogel and stop being weird about it. I know. <laughs> but it's just like the man has, there's so much of his work, Batman work that haven't, hasn't been covered on this show. So I'm excited in the future when that happens. And so you chose this, this book. I mean, this, the guy had found his craft, like, he was top of his game with these with these issues with these stories and you were even talking about the cape and i think it's in the second issue of the story where it is batman in a graveyard one of my favorite settings batman ever is in and he's got that brayfogel does it's almost like action what do i want to say he can draw gusts of wind now what do you mean by that because of how he angles the cape that you know, looking at a static shot, that the cape is just being blown to a certain direction, and it always looks sharp, as if you touch the the tips of that cape, and it would, you know, it poke your player, cut your finger off, it'd make you bleed. And mm-hmm. so those are like images of Bray Fogle that I really like, as well as up like up close. And it's towards the end of the first issue of Batman. He's got this Batman emoting sadness like perfected yeah um and i think that that almost seems a little now that i'm thinking about it little kelly jones and how it's i mean i use the word like sagging or you know and yeah yeah there you go that's better because i'm like i don't think sagging looks good because that implies like batman's fat batman's not fat but you know it's like drooping like sort of deal with that and there is this like man he emotes such a good like defeated um exhausted i mean what's another adjective to use sad <laughs> like look in those moments with batman like he defeated. he does that so well there you go defeated got it boom uh, there's our third one yes and, and and like because that's another thing that alan grant never forgets that because i think it's kind of like how simpsons fans complained about jerk ass homer mm-hmm. um a lot of batman fans do not like jerk ass batman where mm-hmm. he's he's like the intolerable person, the taskmaster who um, has no shred of humanity behind the cowl whatsoever. But no, even in this first story, especially in issue two, where we find the reason why Batman was in that graveyard to, to, yeah. see, to, see, to see that little girl who was obviously projecting the abuse that happened on her, on her dolls. Oof. And the, his heart breaks for her in that moment. He decides like, you know what? I'm going to go home with you. I will talk to your parents and try and convince them not to be as uh, not to be as bad 
to you. However, uh, Zaz is on the loose and Surprisingly, he looks like the tally man when he's dressed up like this. Yep. And he's, he's butchering people yeah. left and right, including this little girl's family. Yeah. I mean, and that's a, because like I said, a, a little hazy coming into the story. And so first of all, in the, in the graveyard, in which backtrack just a little bit, Grant's story structuring here is also awesome. And mm-hmm. how you don't know what this, where the story is going, other than Jeremiah Arkham is reopened Arkham, newly designed, and you see his treatment toward Cornelius Sturk, towards, uh, I mean, the Scarecrow. What, yeah, I mean Scarecrow, which okay, Everard Mallet, in which Everard I was like, Mallet. I don't know that name when I look it up, and yeah, this is, I think this is his only appearance. Maybe he's been. I'm like, okay, he's nobody that I should know. Uh, but Scarecrow, I love Brave Fogo's Scarecrow design. Oh my gosh, I love that. The When uh, Andy DiGenova was on and we talked Batman 455 to 457, that was a title because I didn't want to give away what that third issue, like what mm. was happening. But it was like Identity Crisis Parts 1 and 2. And then the third issue was called, you know, like Fear Something, which obviously, you know, oh, it's Scarecrow. But yeah. that issue 457, Scarecrow, Spiders on Batman, Jason or He's not Jason Todd. Oh my heavens, Tim Drake in the window with his cape. Oh, cool me down. I'm overheating. <laughs> um, but Scarecrow design in that is just like, oh, it's be- it's beautiful. I love it. And I love his design in this too. Um, but you see Arkham's treatment of patients in Arkham Asylum, and it's you know, it's questionable, but he also it's like, but these are meh, these bad people. I mean, it's not like he's going in and torturing up, but I mean, kind of psychological a little bit, but he feels like those are the methods, but you don't know what's going on here. And then all of a sudden you see Robin taking down people in Gotham, bad guys in Gotham. Mm-hmm. He's united with Nightwing who says, you know, like, uh, I just heard, is there anything I can do? And it's like, wait, what? The buildup of this Victor Zaz, because this is his debut. You just see his mouth as he's smiling and you're hearing... Arkham talked to him and everything. And then it's a nice tease. And then you see at the end, kind of like the, the payoff shot of Batman's in a cell chained up against the wall. And it's like, Oh shit. All right. Well, this story just took a turn. Yeah. And, and like, I, I think that should have been for the residents of Gotham, especially the security guards sort of waved the red flag when like, Oh no, we're building the new Arkham Asylum and we're going to make it a labyrinth. Yes. We're going to make it a maze, like a minotaur in the maze kind of idea. And you're like, um, that huh. seemed like the most <laughs> uh, constructive way to rehabilitate or to reinvigorate somebody's broken hey, doc. psyche. Yeah. <laughs> Question. You're fired. Don't ask me questions. <laughs> exactly. And then we were introduced to Zaz, and it's like almost like a mixture of, of both Hannibal Lecter when it comes to psychological manipulation of people, but also the famous British prisoner, Charles Bronson, the one that Tom Hardy played in the movie Bronson, where Uh he's like in a cage, like he's only got a few inches to himself because he's that dangerous to be kept around. Yeah. And, and I know like there was something that I think Bruce Tim said on a, like a making of documentary of one of the the Batman animated series DVDs. It was like new Batman characters, like in the past, like at that point, like 10 years, like, but mostly serial killers. And I think he was referring to Victor Zaz. I think it's one of the reasons why Zaz never showed up on the animated series, because how do you do yeah. a Saturday morning <laughs> cartoon version of Zaz? Yeah, I, you don't. 
No. <laughs> I mean, in the end, I mean, you don't. Uh, so on on Zaz, and then we'll continue on with the story. My introduction to him was, I think it it's Batman four ninety three, but the Kelly Jones Nightfall cover oh. of uh, Zaz gave me nightmares as a kid. Um, love it, love that cover, and actually, I love that issue as well. Um, something tells me I'm gonna wait to confirm this. Mm-hmm. That's right, Norm Brayfogle was in that uh, drew that issue. That's why. So there you go. <laughs> there How about go. that? <laughs> everything's everything's coming up Millhouse right here. Th- that would be one photo. of that would be one of my favorite issues of Batman of all time because the cover obviously is striking, and then the interior story. Hey, uh, Ryan, really? That's one of your favorite issues. The issue is about a serial killer holding uh, women hostage at a um. What do you want to call it? At like a sorority school, school like yes, a college, a sorority, something like that. Yeah, like a, M- murder, murdered uh, women, kicks woman in the gut, and like that's your favorite issue. It's like no, it's a horror story. It's terrifying. Yeah. It terrified me as a kid. And then in the end, Batman comes and saves the day of the you know like everything. Like oh my god, yeah, damn right. And um, Zaz here. So also in that intro. Grant says, you know, the villain, Mr. Zaz, a, a book that he'd read that Grant had read was called The Myth of Mental Illness by Thomas M. Zaz. The name maybe stuck out from whatever. Um, yeah, Zaz, I mean, that's that's a nasty son of a bitch. And then when you do get to see him in his <laughs> in his full glory. Yeah. With a very well-placed. uh dialogue balloon so, yeah a speech bubble <laughs> in front of his privates and i remember that because like i think that was like that's in uh widening gyre or concophony like the kevin smith stories where like zaz realizes he's he's cut everyone on his body and he looks down and he realizes his genitalia had been like the only place he had not marked up and he considers it and i'm just well, like well you know i better <laughs> yeah but i but like also like those those stories are a little too talky for me, but like you can make that criticism against a lot of Kevin Smith's work. Sure, but give him credit where credit is due, where he's like, no, we're gonna pull really obscure folks out. Like, like was it Cornelius Stark, like being like uh, yeah. a villain of the the start of that story, or he was throughout that story. So, yeah, like Zaz being introduced here is a formidable force, um, because he's not just a physical. Um, opponent, but like I said before, he's a mental opponent, and he's mm-hmm. like somebody not to be trifled with. I mean, like we do see just a physical opponent later on with Amygdala, who yeah. I just feel sad for. I feel yeah. really bad that he is used, and he's used like this in this story as well as in Nightfall as like yeah, uh, a goon just to be used uh, against the uh, the good people of Gotham. People just use him as a weapon. He's yeah. just used as a weapon, and he doesn't know any better. No. Um, and it explains in here too about like a disconnect in the brain and how it happened with him. I think mean, so. Zaz, because he is like a an unpredictable, fast moving serial killer, and then his appearance alone of like a tally mark for every person that he's killed. Well, quickly that adds up when you see his body. Uh, but then, like as you said too, of a little mind manipulation because Gordon and Batman go to see him in Arkham. And there's even a, I don't remember exactly. Oh, in the innocent babe, a Batman, like in his 
discuss like in his uh talking with batman he gives him like little uh breadcrumbs that batman picks up on but everybody else is none the wiser yeah. and so like that like as you were to add on to it what you were saying of so physical opponent but a mental opponent as well as for stuff like that he's having fun doing this and it's one of those things of anime that it's keeps the story going of batman is just so convinced of there are people being murdered in gotham in like a really like savage and brutal way of i mean i'm sorry like throat slits are very it's an intimate way to kill somebody yes i know i know it's a weird way to say it but no you have to be up close and personal to perform and act like that yeah and i mean it's the it's the Zaz way. And so, I mean, it's very striking as you already commented on when Batman took that girl, little girl back to her home from the graveyard and walks in and how the, her mother, her brother and her dad are all positioned like the happy family watching TV. But we see the image and all their throats have been slit. So Batman knows like, this is Zaz's way. Like it's him. I know he's doing this. I just can't figure it out how. And then it becomes such a really great story twist if you will mm. that we don't find out until you know the second issue even of batman comes up with a plan of with gordon and then kitsch put me in arkham commit me so that i can be so i can find out how zaz is getting out because i know he is right very trusting that arkham's not going to unmask him either but then we get enough from that first issue of arkham's methods and how he firmly believes like no no no, don't take the easy way out of taking his mask off i'm going to get batman to take his mask off and reveal who he is because he's going to realize what he's doing is wrong yeah i i mean like go back to something like watchmen where rorschach is captured his mask is removed prior to him being admitted mm-hmm. and being seen by a psychiatrist like like I imagine speaking to Rorschach with a mask on versus his mask off was a very different kind of kind of uh, conversation to have. And being able to manipulate the great Batman to willingly take off his mask mm-hmm. would be such a cue, a coup for Jeremiah Arkham. Yeah. And I can't. I love Batman. I don't know if <laughs> anybody knows this. Uh, I would I... be surprised if you didn't this far along. <laughs> I do understand in the real world that approach and like, yeah, that would be strange. I can't say that I argue with Arkham's point in the sense of like, Batman, there's something wrong with you. And as a doctor, I'm going to try and get you to see it and not have me force it upon you. Like, I think that there is validity behind that approach, Mm. you know, but it's Batman. Yeah. So Arkham's the enemy. (laughs) But not a full-on bad guy either. No, like, he is, I would say he's a secondary antagonist by... Yeah. Not because, like, he is willfully allowing Zaz to leave the grounds to commit murder in order to further his research in this psychological study or anything like that. No, it's more of, like, he's just ineptitude thinking he's actually brilliant and has everything under control yeah and he's like no i i he, it's hubris on his part like, yeah, no, yeah 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 there's nothing out of control here i'm in he, he it comes up saying like james franco and spider-man too i'm in charge here tim we are on the same 
wavelength tonight, my friend, because I was seriously thinking that as you were saying it, I was waiting for you to talk or to end your sentence. And then I was going to be like, like James Franklin. I'm a How about that? Wow. That's crazy. <laughs> do you think we watch movies? Uh, yes, we do. Definitely have times. <laughs> but no, I, I totally agree. And I, I'm glad you used the word of hubris because I mean, yeah, I think that that's absolutely that Arkham's not there. I mean, maybe some of the, the ego is there, uh, but not cashing in on it, but no. for the fact of like for himself as a doctor, like, no, 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 I'm going to make this happen. I know I am. Uh, and I think you believe him as he's saying that too, because I know he's got his workers around him that he's saying it to. That's Grant writing to us, the readers, to get that um, motivation out there. Mm-hmm. And I think that, hence, that's why it's important that we do quick checkups on, you know, on the inmates there of boom, boom, boom at the beginning is yeah. because we see him in this element doing what he's doing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Zaz is the the big villain in this. But like you said, too, I totally think Arkham's the antagonist here as well. And then I love as the walls are kind of metaphorically crumbling down around him. He's still like. No, no, no. I've got I've got this under control because this is I mean, it's Arkham namesake. It's, yeah. you know, I'm not going to start go the route of conflicting here. My uncle, Amadeus. But then on the back of this trade, it says he's that Jeremiah is the son of the the Arkham founder. So like, OK, well, that's a little contradicting. Not a no, huge no, deal. But I mean, we know Jeremiah is related to Amadeus. Rock me, Amadeus. But I was like, nope, nope, I'm not, I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> no, I did it. There we go. But uh, I don't. I mean, I don't. I guess I don't know what to add. We know, we know, Zaz is doing it because when he goes and takes out the guy in the telephone booth, and he's dressed like the tally man. Well, then we do see him pull his sleeve up, and he makes a new, a new mark. He's like, okay, yeah. so classic Batman. He's on it before everybody else is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't help I'm distracted by the next page because it's the one where Nightwing and Batman meet in the uh the vents <laughs> and he's got his he's got his little hand Aww. up. Yeah. And it makes me think of the animated series when Joker is hanging upside down after the chase over the chemicals. He's like, Batman! And it goes to Batman and he sees just got his little little head up waiting on the rails and joker batman <laughs> there's a meme that went around that somebody had made that was hilarious and it was like i forget what the first image was and it's like hey batman what are you thinking about and it's and then it goes to batman it's that image and he goes oh you know justice and stuff <laughs> <laughs> all mean, of that from this nightwing image i like it, it's like I know you asked like like favorite image from this this book the story. It might be that. It might be them <laughs> John McClaning it diehard yeah. their way through Arkham and 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 I would be like, we can't go on meeting like this. I mean yeah. Grant's got the voice and the personalities of of Batman, Robin and Nightwing down pat. And it is like and like even the point like like Batman's playing the straight band here, like, I'm on a mission. Nightwing's like, all right, fine, let's do it then. Um, but when 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 shit gets real, when the orderlies come in and see them investigating, uh, accessing 
uh, restrictive files that Nightwing immediately springs into action yeah. and uh, proves that um, I feel like if they had to go toe-to-toe, I think Nightwing would win in a fight between him and Batman. I think he's more of a natural. Whoa. Uh, I know it's a hot, hot take. take. I know it's it's not it's not originated with me. Uh, Andrew Leyland and Michael Bailey of the Overlook Dark Knight, they've, they've spoken about this many times, talking about like the fact that Dick Grayson grew up in, in the circus, that he is far more naturally gifted to be uh, more in tune to what his body can do than uh, than Bruce Wayne is. Like, I mean, sure, Bruce is trained all the time, but I think there's an innate ability in Dick Grayson that Bruce does not have. Um, not taking anything away from Batman because obviously, like, he's fought Deathstroke and he's Deathstroke has taken out like half the Justice League if you want if you read Identity Crisis. But anyway, um, interesting. Also, I love. Uh, Jeremiah Arkham's uh, pajamas that he's wearing that he looks like a, <laughs> he looks like a, a circuit board gone awry yeah. in, in matching top and bottoms. Well, that's a choice. Okay. Yes. <laughs> as you well, as you said with the Nightwing Batman, I do I really like that um part of this this story. I mean, it's it's a little bit, but I mean, you have an, like Batman and Robin working together, the original. You know, that's always great to have and how they are partners and it isn't you know, I think like even quickly, Batman, it isn't like, I mean, he says, what are you doing here? Yeah. But then it, it's like he includes him like join like, OK. And just like that, he's not that you need to leave. Hey, this is my mission. You need to go home. Cause it's dangerous. Yeah. A lot of a lot of uh, <laughs> I know that I trained you for years and that you're you're your own person now. But this is too dangerous. Go home. I don't yeah. like that when that happens in comics. I know it usually serves stories. Um, Batman comics specifically so I mean that's just like a little element it's just a couple pages and then he shoots reverse style back up into the rafters looks very like creepy almost as he says chow in a very <laughs> it is menacing but yeah he, he is pretty joyful as he like scurries up the events and gets out of there yeah uh, he does have something that I think Bray Fogle always does well everything but more specifically <laughs> I mean you get He's jumping over an orderly. Nightwing is, but that leg extension, Bray Fogle knows how to extend a leg. Yes, it's great. Uh, he never forgets the fact that he he was an acrobat. That's right. And, and like yeah, how fluid. It, like same thing when he drew he drew Tim Drake in the first issue. Like it, it's not it's not about form; it's about fluidity. I think it's what Chuck Dixon said about Tim Drake as Robin. And everything. I think it plays it applies to all Robins. I think all of them have had that. Uh, to one degree or another and dick grace being a former robin is always a fluidity in his motions and mm-hmm. you see him go on his own side quest of investigating while batman's still in per- imprisoned or institutionalized i should say um it's always like hey it's detective work in a batman story it's amazing um and he, we, we even get like uh, later on we have a, like a we never forget about the action we have a knockout drag out between uh Arkham's worst and yeah. Batman uh, on a one versus like 18. Yeah, which that's awesome. But shame on me because there's a couple. So when, and this is all by Arkham. So this is definitely a questionable method from him oh, um, very to, much put it, so. to put it lightly. The first image where Batman finds out and he's facing all of the all the rogues but then i mean you go to the end of that issue in which what is that the end of issue three 
Yeah. I ha- there's a couple that I just don't know, and I'm questioning like, wait, who the hell is that? Why am I not? Oh no, take away my back card. There's like the you know the obvious Mad Hatter, Joker, Stirk, Poison Ivy, Tweedledee, Tweedledum, Scarecrow, Two Face, Spectre. Strange that Spectre is in Arkham, but okay. Black yeah. Mask, Cavalier, Crazy Quilt, Crazy Riddler, Quilt. and then I'm a little like. Hmm. The big guy, tall guy in the front, the two bald guys next to the two bald guys, the guy in the back with the the big goatee, and that wouldn't be Sensei, would it? Does that be weird? Yeah. Uh, I don't know who they are, and I tried yeah. looking it up, I didn't see anything. But also, why is Penguin here? He's in the uh, he's in the opening page. Yeah, but uh-huh. why would Penguin be in Arkham Asylum? Wouldn't he be in Blackgate? He's not. Oh yeah, yeah, okay. That's more of a logistical thing. Like he wouldn't like like the same thing with Bane. I don't think Bane would go to Arkham. Bane goes to Blackgate. He's in full like he may be incredibly driven, but I don't think he's deficient mentally to warrant it to be in Arkham Asylum. But it, it does result in like maybe like a top ten favorite Joker moment in all of comics mm-hmm. where uh, Batman whips everybody and leaves Joker for last. And Joker <laughs> being like the Joker, like the Joker I prefer, where he is a big bully and once the the odds are no longer in his favor, he uh, curls up and is like, maybe we should discuss this. And just the punch to the face <laughs> is a so punch bad. to the face. <laughs> oh, gee. Which like, he's not in the initial or the end of issue three, but opening issue four, Maxi Zeus, which he does appear in this. Mm-hmm. story for like you know a couple panels well i also um, feel bad for yeah because he realizes that he's not a god is that what you're is that well, what you're putting uh, on? <laughs> but also, like, just like do i have to call up hades to yell at you like no uh no mr arkham i'll take you around the asylum <laughs> like i i know it's supposed to like kind of help him and everything but i'm like ah this is this doesn't huh, this doesn't seem right that's mm. that's the only thing i could say about that and the man with the bandana, that's not Calendar Man, right? The one in the that's that's my guess. Only because of going around going around his head. Yeah. Um, but I'm not too familiar. This is pre-long Halloween. Right. Of Calendar Man. Because even in this collection, so later down the line is a story called Misfits, where Tim Sale is the artist. And Calendar Man shows up in that. And it's the very, like, you know, like the 50s gear of where he's got, you know, like the pull away date uh, calendar stuff all over himself and red. Mm-hmm. And he's got a mask on and stuff. So I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Like, Somebody more knowledgeable sure. than us is like yelling at their phone right now. Yeah. Probably J.O.'s. Most likely. Yeah. Like, go oh, <laughs> give me this show. Ryan, why are you on it? You're an embarrassment to Batman lore. Will you? Yeah. <laughs> I do know who that is. Mm-hmm. His name is Jerry. <laughs> but yeah um, and, and the fact that like arkham slowly realizing he is no longer in control of this situation mm-hmm. yeah i love that and that's kind of like i think that does a lot for that does a lot for the character of arkham and how he is hugo strange turned down quite a few but he's on the same path as strange of not a physical threat, but he has his I'm his I'm a doctor front and center that is his uh 
biggest weakness as well. And I don't know, just like that, the Grant, just how he, I don't know, every element of the story, I think it really helps with characterization of Arkham, characterization of Zaz, you know, even though this is his debut, um, does like, falls right in line with how Gordon is, how uh, Tim Drake is, how Dick Grayson is, how Batman is, uh, which actually, yeah, it's, he's Batman through and through. There's no Bruce Wayne in this. No, it, we never see behind the mask. It's all, it's, just, it's pure Batman in this story. Yeah. Uh, I just saw it here. I didn't ask you, what do you think of the Bray Fogel's Batmobile? It is very much of the time. That is yeah. for sure. Mm-hmm. But I kind of want a Hot Wheels of it. I mean, it, it does seem like it was meant to be designed to be a toy. Yeah. But also, I love like his his bat train or bat like uh, subway car that 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 shows up at Nightfall numerous times. It's like the exact same design. Mm-hmm. Um, that I enjoy. Like, I mean, if people can accept the Dodge Charger Batmobile as the Batmobile, I feel like you should be able to accept this as a Batmobile as well. If we're gonna have this kind of parameters and like leeway of what a Batman Batmobile can be, then this one could totally be that. Um, I do feel weird that it's kind of like it doesn't have a steering wheel; it has like a steering console. It uh-huh. seems like you're driving. It seems like you're flying a plane rather than driving a car. But that's just me. That's me being nitpicky. <laughs> I do have, and I've actually. I've mentioned it before on here, but, and I always forget the line and I don't know if it's in the closet behind me or if it's put away, but there was a line of Batmobiles from the comics um, each decade. They're heavy duty, great quality, great detail. Um, and Bray Fogles was one of them. And I think that one even too has a little bit where you can take like the top opens and, you know, falls down and whatever. I need to get that out because I'm with you of like, you, you look at it, and I, th- I feel as an artist, you want like that is mission accomplished, that your work is recognizable without any kind of assistance. People right. look at it and be like, ooh, that's Kelly Jones. Ooh, that's Tim Sale. Ooh, that's Greg yeah. Capullo. Um, this Batmobile, you can look at it and you're like, oh, yeah, that's Norman Braveheel. It's not my favorite. I don't think it's even my top five um, comic book Batmobiles. But it is just like, I don't, there is something about it of, of its time. So it feels nostalgic, especially in of like first comics I, I ever looked at. This was the Batmobile. So there's an affinity and appreciation for it in that regard, even though it's a, it's a wild concept. They're comics. Don't have to think, how would this look in real life? Because it's like, it doesn't matter because it's no. not real. It's a comic book. Exactly. I mean, this story opens up with like, a gentleman taking a shot off shotguns to the face and the other person walking away fine and, and having no repercussions about it and everything. And so like, yeah, obviously we're dealing with comic book logic and Grant Brayfogle will never forget the fact that this is a comic book. It, it's not yeah. bogged out by such logistics of like, it can't, if it can't happen in the real world, it can't happen on the page. Um, I'm just kind of waiting for Sean Murphy to resurrect it in one of his White Knight series, like that, just to be in the background somewhere. I'd just be very happy if that happened. That would be like, man, mad props for you for going a little deep pull here. Exactly. I mean, please. I mean, like, 
I love his design of his Batmobile, but I know he's sure. got a huge affinity for the 89 Batmobile in yeah. those stories too. But like, it would be so cool to see it on a platform in the background somewhere. Like, oh, I know exactly what that is. Just like, yes, exactly. <laughs> and I feel sort of kind of validated for it being a, a, appreciative of this uh, design for the Batmobile. Yeah. Uh, what do you think the meaning of the last Arkham is? That I guess that you'd say like one of the meanings is that the cycle of violence may or may not continue. Or no, 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 cycle of violence. So cycle of mental problems can be passed down upon and can be an issue if you don't handle it correctly. I mean, obviously Amadeus Arkham having problems and now Jeremiah Arkham thinking like, oh no, I, I totally have this under control and realizing he does not by the end and that there is true evil in this world. Yeah. But it's for everyone else to do their damnedest in order to prevent that from hurting anyone else. That's why Batman continues to do what he does. I mean, I, like what was it, the contractor who was uh, up to his elbows in debt and everything uh, yep. made a deal with the devil and it like it didn't go work out for him. Saz ends up killing him. Uh, Arkham thinks he has it in control. He does not. And Batman tried to stop some, stop a serial killer from killing people. He unfortunately failed for some, but he hopes that by the end of the story that he prevents Saz from ever escaping again, which we all know as comic book readers know that's not going to happen. He's going to break out eventually. Yeah. I have no guess on the relation of the story of the last Arkham, like it's meaning for the story. I, I don't, I don't have one. Um, it, I'm not saying that it's a bad title or anything like that. It was just like, why would he call it? And he, he put in here. So in that introduction, so I basically almost after this, will have read the whole introduction to you almost, but he read a book or a pamphlet that said superstition, the common pigeon. And he said, basically, of like, you wait until a pigeon is walking by a recognizable landmark, then give it a severe shock. Next few days, the pigeon will walk in front of that landmark hesitantly because it remembers of that shock the last time it walked in front of it. But then a couple few days after that, when it's starting to get back to normal of walking by it, of nothing's going to happen, you shock it again. And then that pigeon is going to be scarred the rest of its life with that landmark. Right. And he said... He said, so the author of that pamphlet, the point was that thought slash mind was little more than an irrelevance. He maintained that only an organism's behavior matters. Change the behavior and the mind will follow. Uh, I need, And he said that like, though behaviorism has been largely discredited since then, since the, the pamphlet story had come out, that thought has always stuck with me. I knew I'd use it in a story one day. The last Har- Arkham is the belated result. So relating that to the the pigeon story, and I was like trying to think of I'm not there's a for me there's a disconnect that I'm not connecting the two. Well, I think it's because help me out, Dr. Tim. I think Jeremiah thinks the mind has ultimate control over the the being, but I think what Grant pulled from that story about the pigeon is that behavior dictates that 
your mind say like you you may think like oh no i will do this but your behavioral will either help you with that or prevent you from doing that it's in their nature it, i guess it boils down to uh there's no way of changing your nature or, or like it, it's like i th- i think of the it's almost like a pavlov pavlovian response so like a certain response to a current uh, situation where you're always going to have a reaction to something like that and that zaz is going to kill yeah. no matter what crane is going to terrify people joker is going to try to put a smile on people's faces even if it kills you mm-hmm. and i think batman knows that but he's trying his damnedest to prevent it from happening uh, having those those kind of behaviors hurting people and arkham himself is slowly realizing that despite his best efforts it is a losing battle gotcha makes sense to I me hope, i hope so <laughs> i hope i'm not even rambling here what tim doesn't know what he's talking about ryan at least <laughs> said i don't know what i'm talking about no uh i think that makes yeah that makes that makes sense i know that there is a connection between the two is just for me for some reason i'm trying to connect it maybe i'm taking stuff too literally when it's it's not meant to be are are there any other before i get into some questions for you is there something we haven't touched on that you wanted to um i, I just love like the i think it's an issue three um uh, where we cut to the uh the contractor who designed the uh, the asylum mm-hmm. who is found by Gordon and stuff like, and just like at least for the original coloring of it is very pink, and um, pink and blue is the colors like of the of the crime scene with Gordon. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's recolored in the trade. It's a pink. It is pink. Okay. Yep. Because I, because we discussed that previously, even though it's off mic, but just recoloring of certain di- in comics in digital form. So. Much the chagrin yeah. of original readers, and I don't know. I just I just love that design. Adrian Roy, incredible job throughout all four issues. I mean, agreed. It is some of the best talent that DC's ever had. It was on this book, and I'm just so happy that the stars aligned to bring him on to tell this story and just the Shadow of the Bat uh, title overall. Adrian Roy, I'm glad you mentioned that because. This looks so. I'm just like instantly compare it to that issue of Batman 493, Red Slash is the actual title. But everything looks so the heavy blue, the pink, uh, with the crime scene. I'm like, we've seen those. That was kind of at the time. So, in looking up real quick on Google, Adrian Roy colored that issue of um, the Zaz issue that I mentioned before, too. So, just I'm now going to go and look at my Brave Vogel books and see if Adrian Roy colored everything like all these issues that Bray Fogle did too, because that would make sense because they do seem like not, they all fit the same tone. I guess we'll yeah. say that and the same coloring and stuff. So uh, yeah, those are two things that I think compliment and help stand out even more of, Oh yeah, this is a Bray Fogle book because yes, the illustration itself, but then the coloring. Um, so yeah, that's a good point. Glad you brought that up. Yeah, uh t- Oh, Go ahead. one last thing. The omnipresent narrator that shows up every now and then mm-hmm. uh, is something that uh, comics get away with. But I feel like I just haven't seen it that often. Like, of like, meanwhile, or and then they, the omnipresent <laughs> narrator can be in the heads of certain characters and what have you, and they're not just speaking. Like, like Arkham thinks he's everything's okay, and that clearly is not. But uh, yeah, just 
uh, things that you just take for granted for comics. I'm like, oh, I just, I like that. I, I, I like that conceit as a reader. Yeah. All I could hear is, meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice. <laughs> uh, let me ask you a couple uh, questions here now, Tim, because I haven't been asking you questions so far. Yes, you've got a question? Uh, what is your favorite part of Batman The Last Arkham? My favorite part of Batman The Last Arkham is Batman dealing with the little girl, Karen, I think his name, her name is, and just recognizing the cycle of abuse that's happened upon her and tries his damnedest to break that cycle, even though it, it, it is it seems like oh, it's a lost cause because Zaz killed her family and everything, but like it, it, it's like Batman humanitarian is something that I think is we don't, I guess it's something that's not as highlighted as much that he is a good person underneath that cowl that he wants to help people i mean it's if he really people. wanted to help people he wouldn't dress up as a bat and he would use his money like the quote youtuber and sort of friend patrick williams like yeah batman could give all the money he wants to the police and men's and mental institutions he wants but sometimes the joker is poisoned the water supply yeah. and you need somebody to battle that also a comic book also we wouldn't have comic books to read if that's what the story was so anyways yeah i i feel like it, i mean i think it's like the like the one joke of like well i guess like one of the few jokes of the flash that didn't land with me is like uh when he's got the lasso tooth around his gauntlet and he's like oh, i should be giving more money like uh, blah, blah, blah. i'm like yeah 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 we get it we get it like you don't have to it, like it's breaking the fourth wall acknowledging these kind of like internet gripes like regular people do not care yeah, it's only internet people that have an issue yeah. with that or take umbrage with that. Yep. Uh, <clears throat> my favorite part, I'm going to ex- expand it a little further, but I'm I'm with you on basically, I mean, starts on page two of that second issue, which opens up in the graveyard, taking you like basically the whole rewind catching us up to the present. So, I mean, it's it's longer than a flashback, but like all of that. And I guess if I have to narrow down even more, I mean, it would be the graveyard leading into the girl's home because that is. I mean, it's weird to be like, oh, man, it was great. It was awesome. I, I Then I turn to it's effective. Yes. I think it's ex- like very effective of Batman talking to this little girl and escorting her home and then the horrors that await at her home and trying to prevent her from seeing that. I mean, as you even see as she's loaded into the police car and how she has an adult with her. And um, I don't know, like they're in a, in a time of horror, you can definitely see still there's nobody for Batman to punch, but so you see how he's being a hero in another way, you know? Right. So um I don't know. I like that's probably my, yeah my favorite part of the whole suit, this whole story. How about your favorite panel? And I know this is tough. This is a Norm Bravefogel story, and you can only choose one. I, I mean, like as mentioned before, the uh, we 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 gotta stop meeting like this moment between Nightwing and Batman in the vents. Um, <laughs> yes, but also I think the same issue earlier. Uh, like, what was it like? Yeah, it's one page before. It's the gentleman in the phone booth who gets yanked out and is filleted by Zaz, but yeah. the 
the phone of the payphone itself is hanging off the receiver and his wife is yelling on him and then like in the background out of focus is the dude getting stabbed to death by Zaz. I like I yeah. know it's a very like ghastly image, but it's an incredible like you said before, it's an incredibly effective one that Bray Fogel presents here. He and I mean he emits action just through lines. Yeah. Like you you see that's a great like silhouette shot of the victim screaming. And then it's just lines of the upper part of the arm of Zaz, but you know what it is and you know what he's doing. And so it's like a great strength of Brave Fogel, like I said earlier, of a static shot, but there's movement somehow. Like, right. That's what he did. It's what he does. His he thing. Really, yeah, like, because like he knows that like I, I'm limited to the two dimensions, so I have to illustrate a third dimension any way he can. And the fact that it's done kind of sort of like off camera as it were it reminds me of like john carpenter's halloween when bob gets killed like we see michael raises the knife into the like into his close-up and he plunges it down off camera we hear it thunk and then we see bob hanging from the pantry Mm -hmm. with the knife stuck through him so it's it's kind of like it reminds me like a moment like that plus i knew if i make a halloween reference you uh, you especially would appreciate that the bingo card I mean, it's it's filled out. You got like seven bingos on this episode right now, Tim. Uh, for me, it comes towards the end of issue one, and it's when we see Batman chained to the wall. That's mm. that's the hook of the issue for me. Uh, you can show nothing else. You show that it it uh, creates intrigue and mystery, and like you got no context, and you saw that image. It creates questions of like, what? What's going on here? And you can build yeah. a story around that. So. Um, it's pretty striking to me. I think it's drawn really well. He's got that yellow oval. So there you go, Pete. Front and center. And like again, so many lines to, you know, bring bring the okay, it's not film, but he's Norm Brave Vogel is bringing his papa, like his pizzazz to that. Yeah. To that page. He's exclaiming out of the fact yeah. that he's got every butt muscle in his torso clenched yeah. as he tries to like, yank himself away from the wall. Yeah, I mean, almost a backup. Uh, it was close. It was in the graveyard because that cape off to the side. And then also of how Batman with the chain of I am not insane as he's trying to pull. I think that's done really well. But I mean, this is a Bray Fogel book. There's so many pages, but that one is my pick. Nice. Would you like to see this adapted in animation? I would, but like we do have like the aforementioned trial episode as well as dreams in darkness another batman anime series where like Mm -hmm. he is committed because he's he's been like he's been hit in the face with like um scarecrow's uh, fear toxin so he's kind Mm -hmm. of like not in his right element there but i could totally see this um in an animated uh i can see this animation like but like I feel like it, it'd be kind of short, even if like you kind of like, I think like, at most it'd been like a two parter on Batman the Animated Series, and I think that's like with padding because like yeah sure it's four issues but it's like, it can be told very quickly and everything. But um yeah I would like to see this in animation, but I wonder if it would be like one of those things where you'd have to have some supplemental uh supplemental material with it or just like it's two stories in one video. Not sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask is if you thought more as like a TV, so let's pretend Cape Crusader that's coming someday. 
um, purportedly that two like multiple episodes of that or do you go with the 70 75 minute movie and it's like that's tough because i think the story is somewhere in between that you'd have to add but then how do you expand the story yeah you'd have to expand it somehow but then how do you do like i don't know uh i just be like man somehow you can't recreate bray fogel's art do something kind of interesting with it really build that atmosphere with this uh and then i'd kind of be all for it but if, if, if it was just kind of like a quick cash in i'm like eh, i don't know but i'll also be all for like open-minded yeah give me a shot like give it a shot sure let's see yeah and i'd be that way with this but also, like i feel like the the animation for the past few movies movies have been kind of stiff i think it's the word i would use so i don't know if it would have the dynamism of Vogel's yeah. art and everything and like images that literally like leap off the screen or a screen or not so i'm not too sure like if you're able to have like a decent budget like if like cape crusader did it like i would kind of be like yeah and i think like the subject matter um i think would work especially since bruce tim said like oh all the stuff i couldn't do for batman the anime series i'm doing with this which could be a good thing or a bad thing depending on yeah. who you ask like how you want to talk about his sensibilities as a storyteller as of late yeah don't know how i lean on that so maybe the uh the restrictions are a good thing i don't know might not be. but then the, the talent that's also included behind that gives me more confidence that it's going to be that it's going to be good uh-huh so um also bruce tim has created a lot of really good stuff so yeah no I, i'm like hey. give me a give me a trailer give me something yep i, I, I don't want to know i want to know this exists and not sitting next to Batgirl on some hard drive in the Warner Brothers archive. Yeah. I mean I think I think it's definitely it's coming. Uh but for I don't know, for whatever reason there's nothing it was announced the same time as this my adventures with Superman. And I think that is about to wrap up its first season. Yet they were both announced at the same time. So I don't know. We'll see. But anyways, um Tim, what are your final thoughts on The Last Arkham? Um, I adore Alan Grant, Norman Bray Fogel as a team. Like, and it's such a great kickoff to this series of stories of uh, the Shadow of the Bat, which for the longest time as a kid, I I got mixed up with Legends of the Dark Knight. I or I would confuse like which story is which. Like, oh yeah, yeah, Sh- Shaman, that's totally a Shadow of the Bat. Like, no, it's Legends of the nope. Dark Knight. <laughs> How dare you? Uh, I know, I know. It's uh, a <clears throat> shame on me. Um, but um, yeah, and also realizing that, yeah, my first uh, episode on here was Legend of the Dark Knight story. Now I'm uh, going to think about it. But yeah, it, it's a great introduction to this team and this line of Batman stories. And it's just a really cool story. It's a, it's a cool murder mystery and a detective story that I feel like a people who have said like, oh, I want to read detective batman i want to see and not jerk ass batman this is a great story for people to check out fully agree illustrated perfectly by norm bray fogel no surprise <laughs> written so well by alan grant no surprise and they do a little it doesn't get in the way in how he restructures the plot um 
it, it feels organic. And like I said, it makes you, it ends that first chapter, that first issue as a big, like, wait, what? Like it preserves, it builds up so much. I think um, Grant just really structured the story well. And I think that it's interesting. And I mean, there's a lot of new IP created these days where it feels like, oh, you're creating this just to create it. Here's the case where, I mean, it even said in the intro, we're going to create a new villain. And it worked like really well, I think. Um, He's a yeah. Dealer. So just, yeah, a great, great story. I'm really glad that you chose this one because it's been a while for me to read it. And it's also a really good one. So um, if somebody's made it this far listening and haven't read it, like, go read it. <laughs> you, you'll, the only thing you will be denying yourself without reading it is not reading a really good story. Yeah. There's no downside to reading it. Not at all. <laughs> Zaz did it. Yeah. That doesn't so really ruin it. No. <laughs> like, doesn't really ruin it. Uh, Tim, thanks again for coming back on. Thanks for sitting with me here for we're at seventy five minutes. Uh, Appreciate the, about it. The, the length of like one of these animated movies. I yeah. hope we're as entertaining as one of those animated movies. Uh, thank you for having me back on and enduring uh, the group chat that you, uh, our friend Preston Willis, and I have, and we did bombarding with yes. uh, nonsense. Uh, <laughs> nonsense. I love daily, it. Daily. Basis. That's what it's there for. <laughs> that's why social media was created <laughs> oh totally it started as a halloween chat but like it is devolved it's like hey look at this funny meme i saw yeah look at this funny thing um <laughs> do you have any plugs that you want to plug away on anything uh yeah you can follow me on social media both on twitter and instagram i'm calling it twitter i'm not calling it x uh you go to twitter.com and it still pops up so hey exactly the url is still the same uh this is tim rooney same thing for instagram uh the anything goes podcast i just released an episode today about where i'm at with my future film uh, where smiling sarah yeah i talked about a little bit of an update that we're starting the film and uh finally and we're in the, the process of slowly putting that together and awesome. i'm really excited for it uh yeah and uh yeah, so follow me for updates of all but all that, and I uh, hope for those who do follow, uh, um, hopefully you guys enjoy the story uh, that I'm telling here. Yeah, check it out. I have um, something that you showed me, almost made me piddle in my pants too. And I think uh, <laughs> so. Job yeah, well so, done, Tim. Yeah, so I'm, worried, <laughs> I'm just like, I'm like, this has no context, but I hope it makes people jump and. Thankfully, it has. So I'm like, yep. Yes. Almost had an accident as an adult. <laughs> as for me, you can follow the Batman Book Club on Twitter and Instagram at the Batman BC for latest episode drops, upcoming episodes, and sometimes even some giveaways. Make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel, the Batman Book Club. Pete and I, obviously, it's been a while, but we're going to get to that No Man's Land, much like we do with Return to No Man's Land. So check that stuff out and some more like video episodes coming up soon, too. And those will be fun. Those will be cool. Uh, if you want to support the show, there's a variety of ways you can do it. Like I said at the top, patreon.com slash the Batman BC, tpublic.com, and type in TBBC for the Batman Book Club, where you can get some fun items with that ball and logo created by Justin Kowalski splattered all over it. But if you want to support the show and you don't want to spend any money at all, that's 100% A-OK. The easiest, quickest, and most impactful thing you can do is rate and review the show. So wherever you listen to it on podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Amazon, Google, iHeartRadio, just rate and review the show. Because the more reviews the show gets, the more it helps spread the word. And as we all know, the word is panic. So for Tim Rooney, 
I am Ryan Lauer, and until next time, read my Batman comics. Yeah.